fair warning, this may go into three weeks, but um, I'm, I'm under strict, strict rules here, so I have to abide by them. Um, all right, so let's review. Where were we? Um, we're talking about God's providence and uh, how that God's hand um, guides in events in, in American history. And uh, a lot of historians have talked about, secular historians have talked about, I want to say, um, uh, happy coincidences and all these coincidences that happen. Yet to the, to, the, to the saved person, to those of us that believe God's word, um, these aren't coincidences. This is God working in the affairs and lives of, of men for his purpose and, and his glory. And, and, and so we're telling the story this morning about um, a man that, that some of the events in his life will change events more than 100 years later, uh, some of them in our lives. And it's very interesting um, what will happen. So just to remind you of what's, what uh, the story we're telling, the night that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, um, many don't know this, so we know it, but uh, uh, there was this giant conspiracy afoot. It involved about 15 people. And the conspiracy was that John Wilkes Booth, who we, we know that name, he would kill President Lincoln. But at the same time that evening, um, the, 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 uh, the vice president would be killed and the secretary of state would be killed. And the idea was, Booth's idea was, he was the leader of the conspiracy, his idea was that in cutting off the head of the government and this dramatic assassination of, of three, the three most important people in theory uh, in the government, um, this would set events in motion that maybe the South, could, he was a Southern sympathizer, hated Lincoln, uh, and his idea was this would upset everything so much that maybe the South could take its rightful place and, and, and rise again. Um, so this is the conspiracy. And um, so the, uh, that night, of course, um, the idea was that he could maybe, maybe it would destroy the country. To him, that wouldn't matter as long as... And remember to keep in perspective that the war, the Civil War, had just been over for five days. This is five days after the Civil War, the peace treaty is signed. So, so you know, things are very tense, very, people are questioning, is that real, or, you know, were they sincere? You know, why did, the, why did Grant give, uh, uh, allow Lee to let all his people keep their guns and swords? And so that's kind of, that's in the air. And so Booth is taking advantage of this. So we're talking about the Secretary of State. Of course, Lincoln would be assassinated that night. William, uh, uh, Booth would successfully shoot Lincoln, and he would... He would be shot that night. He would die a few hours later. William Seward, the um, <clears throat> the Secretary of State, and those are stories about him. And just to give you some background again, and because because it's important, nine days previous to this, he had been on a carriage ride. And you remember, there's a the, there's a runaway carriage. He tries to stop the horses by leaning out the doors, and he gets on the side of the carriage and tries to stop the horses from running away. And in doing so, he falls face first onto the ground. Uh, he doesn't die, but he is, uh, you know, terribly hurt. He breaks um, uh, his upper and lower jaw. He breaks his arm, uh, possibly breaks his shoulder. He breaks several ribs. Just a terrible accident. And uh, actually, his his adult children who are in the carriage, and, and they finally are able to stop the horses, but they assume he's dead because they see him lying there in a pool of blood. And he's not dead. He's just, he, he very nearly uh, comes to death. But um, so the doctors... And uh, this part of the story is important. That's why I'm re- reviewing it. The doctors, 
you know, deal with him there, kind of hold him together and take him to his home and, and put him in bed. And in doing so, they, they put together this contraption for him to heal and they put the, the these, uh, it's, it's made of steel and canvas and rope and wire and it's, it's there to hold his jaw in place so he can, so he can heal. So that night, uh, Lincoln is assassinated, um, and uh, the um, <clears throat> the second part of the conspiracy is now set in motion. And at 10 o'clock that night, there's this banging on the door at Seward's house. Uh, several things happen. Seward's son comes to the door, and the man says, I have to see uh, the secretary. I have to deliver this medicine to him. Uh, he insists, and, man, and, and Seward's son, Frederick, says, you, you know, he, he, everybody knew this, but he, he's... he's can't, he's, he can't be seen. He's, he's, uh, he's in bed healing. And um, the man pulls out a gun and fires the gun right at Frederick's forehead. The gun doesn't go off. It jams. And the man, realizing the gun doesn't work, he turns the gun on Frederick and beats him very badly. Uh, Frederick doesn't die, but he almost dies. He's lying there. The man assumes he's dead. Uh, Frederick will be in a coma for, for several months, two, two months. And so then he, realizing that... Um, his, everything's out of the way. He rushes up the stairs. He draws a knife out of his belt. He rushes up the stairs to kill Seward. And that's where he left it last, last week. When he gets to Seward's bedroom, uh, Seward, of course, is lying there defenseless. There's somebody else in the room, uh, an attache or something, and, and they, uh, 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 the man, Lewis Powell, the, the conspirator, he, he disposes of, of that, of that man. And then he jumps on the bed and he begins to, uh, bring the knife down over and over on Seward. But every time he brings the knife down, the knife runs into that contraption that's around his neck, the steel plates. He was trying to, to sever Seward's jugular vein, thinking that'd be the fastest way to kill him. So he comes down uh, like that on, with the knife on, on Seward uh, eight or nine times. Each time, uh, the knife glances off these steel plates. What had been a terrible accident ends up saving Seward's life. The, the, the contraption that the doctors put together. Um, Seward is hurt very badly. His, uh, he's disfigured for the rest of his life, uh, his hand and his, his face, uh, where, the, where, the knife, where the knife went. Um, but he's alive. And uh, Powell, Lewis Powell, the, name, the man uh, referring to the, the um, uh, conspirator, he, after a few minutes, he runs out of the house into the night screaming. Now, I don't know if he thought Seward was dead or not, but he, he's, he's finished. But Seward will live. Now, just as a side note, Lewis Powell is arrested three days later, and he stands trial for being part of the Lincoln conspiracy, the Lincoln assassination conspiracy. And he would be hung along with, I think, eight or nine people um, about a month later. So um, justice is coming for him. But so why is the life of William Seward important, and why do we go through that, that whole story? And why is this a miracle, I believe, of God's providence? Well... The very obvious thing is it probably saved the nation from a time it may not have recovered from. Remember, the war had only been over five days. This, this, this killing of these three men, and I'll, and I'll tell you about Andrew Johnson here in just a moment, but, but um, this would have probably set the country in motion into a disaster that, that we would not recognize the United States today um, had that happened. Uh, the man who was supposed to kill Andrew Johnson, he in a sense gets, uh, I'd say, cold feet, he goes home and gets drunk and sleeps night off. He never, he never tries to attack the vice president. So that third part of the conspiracy goes away. Um, but the other two, of course, once succeeds and, and one almost succeeds. But 
this isn't the only reason. And uh, uh, Seward would, uh, what, what Seward would accomplish because he lives has far-reaching importance even in our lives. And I'm going to refer to a couple things that will, as, as I refer, not to be overdramatic, but that will literally change the course of the world uh, in, in the future. Um, we, <clears throat> I'll tell both of those stories in the future. Uh, they, they have their own, their own story, but uh, because they showed God's clear providence uh, in, in our history. And as I said, Seward would be disfigured, but he, was li- he would live, and he would actually recover, and he would continue to serve as Secretary of State in the new president, Andrew Johnson's um, administration. Uh, he does much to keep the country running. Um, Andrew Johnson, the, the new president, uh, he will face a harrowing four years of, um, of just disaster in his presidency as, as his political enemies successfully destroy his presidency and really his his uh, his personal life. Um, Seward does much to keep the country running. He negotiates treaties. He he holds important meetings. He makes decisions. Uh, sometimes without the president, um, he he works with Congress, etc. And because Johnson is very understandably uh, very distracted, so uh, Seward, for his part, just to tell you just a, just a bit more about him uh, as we go on. Um, he suffered many personal uh, uh, disasters after that terrible night. His wife, Frances, would die two months later, very sadly. Um, uh, Seward's uh, beloved daughter, Fanny, she would die three months after that. And so he has this terrible personal tragedies coming up. And it's amazing that he wasn't overwhelmed. But he continued to work in the State Department, probably very aware that his country was going through a very dangerous time and that he was needed. Um, He was an unsaved man, unfortunately. Um, But he often spoke about the rise of our country, that the rise of our country was was a result of divine will and that God would have, as he said, greater grandeur for America in the future. So I'm going to have to stop there because of time. We, we, uh, I guess I, could, I can go into it a little bit because I don't want to um, leave it too much. I can't go through the whole thing. But just to tell you, there's two stories here that I want to tell you about what happened to, to why William Seward matters and why the fact that he lived matters. Um, there's a large land mass owned by Russia. It's twice as large as Texas at that time. In the 1800s, it was known as Russia, um, Russian America. And for almost 20 years, Seward had spoken publicly about his dream of the United States owning that great landmass and um, uh, known as, again, Russian America, or today we call it Alaska. And he had a vision of the United States building great cities in the Northwest and, and in this Russian America. He said that monuments of civilization um, would be built um, in, in this area. And as a United States senator in the 1850s, he, he's the one that um, proposed surveying and charting that entire area up into the North, the North uh, uh, Pacific and uh, that area that we now know as Alaska. And now with Lincoln's assassination and the Union victory, um, he is given a unique opportunity to pursue several several of his his dreams. So Canada, in the 1860s, was making overtures to either seize that land or, or purchase that land. And um, Seward reacted quickly, and without authorization from the president or Congress, uh, he began negotiations with Russia to purchase that property. Um, and really through a series of kind of fascinating events, um, the United States purchased Alaska in 1867, and um, Seward then 
um, that was called, uh, they, 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 re, they were relentless in making fun of him. Uh, you, from history class, you might remember the term Seward's Folly, and they called it Seward's Icebox. And what a foolish thing this was that Seward did. But he got Congress to go along with it and pass the treaty to, to uh, okay the negotiations, and uh, they purchased, and, and we purchased Alaska. Um, why is this important to us? Well, of course, Alaska is a state of the Union today, um, and, and very important. But historians say that the United States, if they, if we had not purchased Alaska in 1867, Russia would probably still own it. And the reason for that is because right after we bought Alaska from Russia, um, they immediately regretted it. And they, they said, oh, we, we never should have let that go. They immediately understood. And so, um, chances are that they never, they never would have sold that that land to, to anyone else if the United States had not moved at that moment. And um, uh, once one, um, one historian said, Seward's lonely, relentless determination to complete his grand bargain is one of the key turning points in American history. Imagine this, and this is what we'll talk about in a, in a, a couple of months when we talk about the, uh, the Cold War. But this historian said, imagine this, Russian missiles pointed at the United States from Cuba and Alaska in the Cold War. Now, many in this room are not old enough to remember the Cold War, um, and I was just a little little baby uh, in the Cuban Missile Crisis, but but um, we had missiles nine miles off our shore pointed at us, um, being being built in Cuba uh, by by Russia, and historians say that Russia owning Alaska during the Cuban Missile Crisis would have been far worse outcome. One hundred and fifty years later. In 2017, just a few years ago, one of Vladimir Putin's governors said the exact same thing in an interview. And so when we look at God's hand and the outcome of the Cold War, which is another lesson, as I said, um, our, our defeat of the Soviet Union in the Cold War is a fascinating story of God's intervention. And it all started because Seward lived. And that was his personal, um, his personal thing that he wanted to do. No one else was interested in Alaska. There is another thing that Seward did that is equally fascinating and equally as important in world history. Um, in, in 1856, uh, Congress had passed a law. It's known as the uh, Guano Islands Act. It basically said that if the United States found uh, unowned or unclaimed and uninhabited territory, like islands out in the ocean, that um, Congress said that they could take uh, possession of any of those lands. Is again known as the, the Guano Islands Act. So, uh, Guano Islands, what, what that is, what is guano? Well, guano is bird droppings. So we think of that, that's kind of odd, isn't it? Uh, but bird droppings in the 1800s were, were extremely valuable to farming and very rare. And we looked everywhere we could to find, uh, to find bird droppings to help us in farming. It was fertilizer. And uh, so... Um, this was this is interesting about what that was. In 1859, there was a fishing boat out in the Pacific Ocean, and they 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 see um, a small island about 1,200 miles northwest of Hawaii, and um, they uh, they claim it for the United States. Um, Seward saw this as he was putting the Alaska deal together. It wasn't near Alaska, but it was about kind of halfway between Alaska and the Hawaiian Islands. And Seward personally authorized that claim and made that, that island a territory of the United States. Later, years later, that island would be named Midway Island. And that is an entire another story 
of God's providence. Well, uh, if you know about World War II, and we'll tell the story um, maybe next month, um, there's a battle in World War II in the Pacific known as the, the Battle at Midway Island. And uh, historians, books have been written, movies have been made, and, there, and many of them named the miracle at Midway. God worked a monumental miracle in 1942 at the Battle of Midway that changed the course of the war which Japan was winning. And uh, it changed the course of world history. And if the United States had not owned that island and made it a land, uh, 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 an air base, uh, the, 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 what happened in World War II might be an entirely different story. So, in the end, um, the, our, our country owes this man that many people don't know, William Seward, uh, uh, much gratitude through to terrible personal and, and, uh, and family tragedy. He served his country uh, that he loved very dearly. And God's hand was present that night, uh, saving the country from a disaster that it might not have recovered from, um, now that we know that story. And then it also... God's hand was present, allowing Seward to live, to accomplish something that only he was interested in. Nobody else would have been interested at that time in Alaska, or certainly uh, that little island that would be named Midway later. There's a verse in Daniel 2.21, and I think it's a very interesting verse. It says, And he changes the times and the seasons. He removeth kings, and he setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise, and knowledge to them that know understanding. And uh, what, a, what a wonderful thing as Christians that we can see God's moving um, in, in history and see uh, things happening in history that, that may, not take, may not change for 100, 100 years, just like these two events. And we'll talk about those two events, and, and uh, those are exciting stories also. But uh, just, uh, just want to thank the Lord this morning for his care and watching over our country and directing events for his glory and for his, his honor.